Today, we begin the fifth season of In the Bullpen. This is episode number 179. I've said many things through the years, and I have failed to say many things as well. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! We have plenty of things that have taken place during the offseason to talk about. And of course, the 2024 Major League Baseball season is not very far away. As I speak, amateur baseball is being played for some high school and college teams. Before the month is out, Major League Baseball will be playing spring training games. Two teams will play opening day in another country on March the 20th, and all the other teams will begin the season on March 28th. There will be plenty of things to discuss through spring training and through the season. Plenty of things to look forward to as the 2024 season progresses, both at the amateur level, at the professional level, both in minor league baseball and in major league baseball. However, in this first episode of 2024, I want to devote it to confessions and apologies. Four years of in the bullpen means I have said and done many things. And it also means that I have left unsaid and undone many other things. If you are joining this podcast for the first time, welcome. If you have listened for a while now, thank you. I I do truly appreciate you tuning in, listening, and the feedback that I receive from many of you. In either case, I need to make some confessions and I need to issue some apologies. The good news is that these will not be nearly as long as Augustine's confessions, The bad news, it will not be nearly as good as Augustine's confessions, nor as worthwhile. But here we go. I confess, and some of you will recognize this is not news to you, but there is one comfort zone that I have a hard time getting out of. And as they say, you need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And it's not as if I never do this, but I still struggle telling stories of my experiences. And the, the reason I struggle is it just it's hard for me not to think, to use an old phrase, that I'm tooting my own horn. Now, if you look at it from today's perspective, it's not called that. It's called improving your brand. Well, I don't have much of a brand, and even if I did, I'm not real eager to improve my brand. But nonetheless, this is something that I need to get over. Many of you have said that you would like to hear more stories, and I'm going to do my best this year to try to incorporate more in, even if I think that a byproduct might be that it looks one way or the other. And I'm going to start this year by going to an extreme. So I'm going to start this year with a story that is truly, fundamentally, all about me. So I'm going to try to blow the lid off this thing right from the get-go. Now, it also happens to be one of my favorite stories, and I think when I'm done with it, you're going to understand why it is and why even I chose to tell this story 
to try to get myself being comfortable while being uncomfortable. It goes back to my college days, my senior year in college. I went to college at Grand Valley State University. The coach that I had for three of my four years, my final three years, was Andy Chop. Andy Chop and I had a wonderful relationship. It was great playing baseball for him. Well, one day in practice, three of us, all of us pitchers, all of us with the first name of Mark, all of us who were outstanding hitters in high school, were shagging. And at this time, Chopper, that's what we all called him, Chopper did not allow pitchers to also play a position or hit. So here's the three of us out there shagging, as pitchers did a lot back in that day, in center field and grumbling about we can hit and they ought to let us hit and so on and so forth. And at one point in time, the other two marks turned to me and said, hey, go ask Chopper to let you take BP. He'll let you take BP. So I said, yeah, let's see what happens. So I jog in from center field and Chopper's behind the batting cage. I said, Chopper, I said, just let me take BP, just a round of BP. He goes, now, I said, come on, Chopper. Well, it went on for a little while, not too long. And he goes, all right, listen, you get one swing. I said, come on, man. He goes, listen, you get one swing. Do you want the one swing or not? I think, all right, I'll take the one swing. Gordy Aldrink, who was our pitching coach, was throwing BP, and he threw great BP. So he says, where do you want it? I said, bout belt high, middle in. And he grooved it right there. I swung. Home run. One swing, one pitch, home run. Chopper says to me, you can take another swing. And I flip my bat and I say, nah, I'm good. And then I jog back out to center field. That is a true story. One pitch, one swing, home run. And it is a true story that I flipped my bat. Mark Dewey, who doesn't like that kind of stuff, flipped his bat and I would do it again. So there you go. There's my story. Hopefully that will allow me to tell more stories through the course of this season. Now, I talked about the relationship I had with Andy Chop, and one of the reasons we got along so well, and this never happened, but if I had been upset for some reason with Chopper, and I walked into his office, and I expressed that, and both of us were intense people, and we got into a heated debate, argument, whatever the case may be, I knew that even if that happened, when I walked out that door, it was done. It was just one of those things. And it really reminds me of another manager that I had in the big leagues, Jim Leland. Jim Leland, who has been inducted into the Hall of Fame, I think very rightfully so. One of my managers, I played for four major league managers, I believe a second, so two of my four managers will be in the Hall of Fame. Jim Leland will be inducted this summer, and sometime down the road, I'm sure Dusty Baker will be. But everybody remembers that scene from spring training where Jim Leland airs out Barry Bonds. And, and I, I, I get why people appreciate that, but here's the thing about Jim Leland. He is not going to treat Barry Bonds any different than Mark Dewey. Now, when I was with Pittsburgh, Bonds had already left, but we had guys like Andy Van Slyke and Jay Bell and those kind of guys, very, Don Slott, very good established big leaguers. Jim Leland was not going to treat me any differently than he treated them as it regards... Jim was not a big, he didn't really care a lot if you were out there to stretch with the team. And if Andy Van Slyke didn't stretch, Jim Leland would say nothing to him. And if Mark Dewey didn't stretch, he would say nothing to me. And I think he is very worthy of a Hall of Fame induction because he was an extremely good manager. Congratulations to him. Congratulations also 
to the three players elected, Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and Todd Helton, a player that I believe belongs and fell just five votes shy is Billy Wagner. He has one more year, and I sure hope he gets in. He deserves to be in, and next year is his last year, at least on the normal ballot. I'll probably talk more about those things, Hall of Fame things, and Jim Leland as we get into the season. As a matter of fact, this offseason, I was looking for something completely unrelated to baseball, and I came across a letter that I had. Don't ask me how I got it. It's a it's a copy of a letter, but it is definitely a letter that Jim Leland sent to his players back in 2006 when he got hired by the Tigers. I think I'm going to bring that out sometime this year. But back to my confession, confessions. Second confession. I cannot name my favorite baseball movie. I just, if you, if you said, you got to tell me now, I would say, I don't know. I have a list. And I could say, well, among my favorites are these, and two that would fit definitely into the Elite Eight, maybe even the Final Four, are two of the movies that I call the number movies. So two of the movies that would be in the running for my favorite baseball movie are 42 and 61. Speaking of that, there's this. So even though the audio is more than 60 years old and therefore a little bit less than stellar, I trust that you understood what was going on there. That was Roger Maris hitting home run number 61 on October 1st, 1961, in that year where Maris and Mantle were going back and forth and back and forth through much of the year. And on that day, Roger Maris set a new home run record in Major League Baseball. The old record, of course, by Babe Ruth, which he set in 1927. So I I thoroughly enjoyed that movie, 61, and the movie 42 about Jackie Robinson. Both of those movies would be in consideration for my favorite all-time baseball movie. But again, I don't know what it would be. Now, you may be wondering why I would have to confess such a thing. You might be saying, well, I think there's plenty of people that couldn't just pin it down to one. You might even be saying, I can't tell you what my number one is. I, I would be like you, Mark. I'd, I'd have a few to choose from. 
Well, I've actually used that confession to work into the real confession, the true confession. You know what I think about baseball if you've been listening to this podcast at all. I believe it is the greatest game on the face of the earth. But here's my confession. My favorite sports movie is not a baseball movie. And this particular movie is undoubtedly number one for me. And like 42 and 61, this movie is based on a true story. I believe a remarkably true story, or a true story that is remarkable. And it's a story that should be more prominent in our memories, and the movie should be as well, and should be more appreciated, I think. I honestly believe that I could stop this movie every two to three minutes and have a very good and a very beneficial discussion with others on what we just watched and heard. So, what's my favorite movie, sports movie of all time? Thinking about sitting you down, Jim. What? Hey, what are you talking nah, about? Nah, it's not your fault. I played you way too much and you're too tired. Uh, besides that, I think it's time I give Janny a look. He's been waiting for seven months. You're kidding me. Now? Yeah, of course I mean now. That's my net, man. You can't do that. They just scored ten goals, Jim. Right now it's everybody's net. Oh, wait a second. I've given you everything I've got. Now you're pulling the plug on me? Have you? Given me your very best? Because I know there's a lot more in you. A whole other level that for some reason you just don't want to go to. Oh, what the hell? You don't understand what I'm talking about. No, no, no. I'll tell you what I don't understand, Irv. I don't understand you. Nobody on this team understands you and your ridiculous sayings and your drills and those stupid psychology tests you had everybody take. Everybody? What? So that's what this is about. Because I didn't take your test? Fine, you want me to take your test? I'll take your test. Is that what you want? No. I want to see that kid in the net who wouldn't take the test. I don't know how many times I've watched the movie Miracle of the 1980 United States Olympic hockey team. I don't know how many times I will see it yet in my lifetime. But I will say this, every time I have watched it, and I trust every time I will watch it down the road, that scene gets me up out of my chair. Herb Brooks, the head coach, Jim Craig, the goalie. And that conversation, and especially that last line, I want to see the kid in the net who wouldn't take the test. Oh, that fires me up. That's coaching. That's getting the best out of a player. That's leading a team to heights, in this case, nobody could imagine they could reach. And that's what we need more of today in all sports, but my main concern is in baseball. And I firmly believe that when Herb Brooks said, I want to see that kid in the net who wouldn't take the test, he was not encouraging rebellion and insubordination. If you know anything about the way he handled that whole situation, the whole team, you would realize that's the case. What he was doing, however, was trying to draw out of the man that he knew needed to be in the goal for him, and he knew needed to play a certain way for them to have a chance. He was drawing out of him a tenacity, a fire in the belly, a no-holds-barred approach to competing and striving for excellence. Those are the words, in my opinion, of a man who understood 
what it would take to do what that team did. Remember, he had his team pick basically before they even began tryouts. And he didn't use a hockey version. Of course, it wasn't around back then. But he didn't use a hockey version of war. But as all great coaches, he used his eyes. And he, and he, and he thought and put together uh, what it took to develop individual players, but more importantly, champions as a team. And if you can only see numbers and you can't penetrate the heart and the mind and draw out of a player and draw out of a team like he did, you're not really coaching. So, I have to confess, my favorite all-time sports movie is a hockey movie, but really it's far more than that. And I hope in doing so, you don't hold it against me or you don't stop listening to In the Bullpen. Now, along with confessions, I have to issue a couple of apologies. First, last year's season of In the Bullpen ended at the end of the regular season, so I was not dropping podcasts through the postseason. Now, even when I told a good friend of mine who's been on the show twice, David Nilsson, that I had planned on stopping at the end of the regular season, he said, uh, can I raise an objection? And then after the fact, somebody put out on internet on the internet, somebody I know, that it was borderline criminal for me to do that. And I have to agree. That was a bad decision on my part, and I apologize. Second, as I said today, I've said in the past a lot of things. Some of those things make people uncomfortable. Some of those things more than a few people find offensive. Sometimes I say something that is just wrong, and I have to apologize for it. And that's the case right now. I have to apologize for something that I have said. I've said it on more than one occasion. And I have been wrong. And I thought a lot about it during the offseason and said, you know what, i got to deal with this. I know for a fact that I didn't offend the person, though, because the person I'm apologizing to has been dead for about 3,000 years. More than once, I have compared some of the young people today to Rehoboam. The blatant disregard and disrespect that I witness really on a daily basis among a number of the younger generation who have a fraction of the knowledge, and in many cases not even a fraction of the experience, and and that means they have none, I see the blatant disregard and disrespect of men who have been around this game and performed and or coached or managed at the highest levels for decades, and these young people completely disrespecting them. And I find it astounding. So that said, I wronged Rehoboam in comparing them to him. Because even though it was likely entirely eyewash, at least Rehoboam acted like he had some respect for the elders who served with his father Solomon. So much of what I see, and trust me, this has nothing to do with me. Again, I have no presence. I have no social media presence. Nobody's picking a bone with me about anything. But what I see is unbelievable on social media. It's remarkable in the ignorance and the arrogance that is displayed. And an ignorant arrogance is a very bad combination. I've said in a Bible study that I lead that one former president of the United States makes Nebuchadnezzar look like a humble man. And I'm referring to Nebuchadnezzar prior to 
his spending seven years eating grass like cattle. And I will say about so many young baseball fans or gurus that they make Rehoboam look like a man who had the utmost respect for his elders. Now, I understand. I know that Ecclesiastes 4.13 is in the Bible. A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. Yes, and I've seen it. The older person who thinks they have all of the answers and refuse to learn. But I've seen that years ago, and I I can say maybe I've seen it occasionally, but in no way does it compare percentage-wise to the other way around, to the young who think that the old have nothing. They don't know anything. Well, that's enough of that for now. I'll probably talk about it at different times during the season, but I look forward to the ongoing conversation about this and many other things throughout this 2024 season of In the Bullpen. Like the past, the conversation will involve the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like the past, I hope to bring into our conversation day in and day out, or I guess week in and week out, the good, the true, and the beautiful. All of which find their immutable standard in Yahweh and in His Word. One more thing about apologies. I cannot apologize on behalf of others. However, even if I could, I would not apologize for what happened this offseason with Shohei Otani and the Los Angeles Dodgers. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening.